We got two lessons this morning before we even get into what the Lord's got going. One, what if we were like that little girl who would repeat what needed to be said until we got a response? Did y'all catch that? She was telling y'all bye until y'all responded. And I believe she'd have sat right there and said goodbye a bunch more times if y'all didn't respond. What would it be like if God's people would continue to say what needs to be said until we got the response that needed to be begotten? Huh? That little girl teaches something now. And secondly, <laughs> not only are the Israelites fighting the Philistines, but they're fighting the Palestines too. <laughs> I only point, I can't say none of the rest of them. I only point that one out so y'all don't think we're fighting a whole bunch of battles. We'd still just like the Philistines. <laughs> hey, hey, here's the lesson we really do get. All kidding aside, not only do we get one from a little girl, we get this, because I know a lot of us open the Bible and it scares us. Maybe we don't understand it. Maybe it really is hard words. You know, all kinds of reasons. If you will push through, if you will push through, God's got great things for you through it. It doesn't matter if you can say it right. It doesn't matter if you've gotten to learn it a hundred times. If you say it wrong and then get corrupt. I mean, it doesn't matter. What matters is that we'll open his word and push through and get what he get, what he wants to give us out of it. All right. So good lessons right there. All right. Now I'm going to tell you with this chapter, one, you cannot open this chapter in scripture and not say, man, the Bible like really does have everything going on. We got a battle. At the end of the battle, we got guys getting decapitated, decapitated. Man, see, picking on you, the Lord's gonna get me now. We in a lot, of, we in a lot of trouble today. <laughs> so people go get their heads cut off. When you can't say the word, you just say what it means. But they go get their heads cut off. They're gonna get their bodies stripped. They're gonna get their bodies hung, not only on walls for people to see, but in temples. I mean, it, that, this is a violent chapter when you really think about it. Thirteen verses, but man, think about what Hollywood could do if they got a hold of these thirteen verses. And I really. I use that because this chapter 31 is no different than 30. We really need to get a couple different camera views on what's going on. Because there's a lot going on at the same time, all the way back to chapter 28. All right. So, you know, we've said this for a few weeks now. Chapter 28, 29, 30, and 31. This is all just a big old thing happening at the same time frame. So, you know, if you've missed any of this stuff, jump online and check it out. Uh, if you've missed any of Saul's life, you really need to check it out. because that, that leads us to see where we're at. Uh, but through that, here's what I want you guys to get. And I, and I encourage you. If you've got your bulletin or if you've got a notebook or whatever, God has given us self-reflection questions in this chapter today that are vital. And, and I probably had 20 or 30 of them. I think I ended up with maybe 10. But the, and, and here's why I, I wrote them down and said they were, they were the best 10 questions. Here's why they were the best 10 questions. Because they were the ones that kicked me in my gut the hardest. So by best, I mean they're the ones that got me. And I, and I hope that God will use them to get you. All right, so there's going to be questions that come out through this story that you need to answer. Don't shout them out loud. Everybody got that warning, right? All right, if you do, everybody will know what you did wrong. <laughs> Here's the first one though, that really got me thinking. Who's going to write your obituary when you die? Who's going to write your obituary when you die? Your children? Your spouse? Your mom? Your dad? Your children? More importantly, after you realize who's going to write it, what's it going to say? What is your obituary going to say? You know, it feels weird getting into chapter 31 after chapter 30 last week. where We had all that victory going on and, and had David doing what needed to be done and, and claiming back families and, and taking back, you know, our wives and our children, all the stuff that the enemy had taken away. 
And then here today, we've got a tragic, I think you called it bitter end. We've got Saul's bitter end. It's tragic. It's ugly. It's heartbreaking for multiple reasons that progress throughout this thing. And you can't help but look at that and wonder, what would be said about me when I'm gone? What, 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 would, what would the newspaper write? What would, what would they say if they had, had a funeral and had someone get up and able to give the eulogy or able to just tell stories? And if you're thinking right now, man, I don't know if I'd really like a lot of the stuff they would share. Thank God you got the day to make it right and start changing it. And if you're thinking, man, my buddy could tell this story and he could tell that story. And that puts a smile on your face in a good way because it'd be honoring to the Lord. Man, keep living that way. Take it as an opportune moment to understand, like, I'm doing things that I'm not disappointed in and I need to keep doing them. All right. So that's what I hope today does. All right. Because I think we all want to end well. Am I right? I don't think nobody wakes up and says, man, I hope I have a sucky ending at the end of life. You know, I hope when, I hope when I'm old and I'm gone, like it was just horrible. No, I don't think anybody wants that. But, but here's the reality. I think often the choices we make in life, they go against what we really want. I've been trying to better my diet a little bit because I, I might have changed pant sizes and I don't like that, right? So, so in that though, there's a battle and you got to make that choice every day. Either you're going to drink the Mountain Dew or you're going to drink water. You're going to eat the salad or you're going to eat the cheeseburger with extra patties on it. Now, now Sunday's my cheat day and I'm going to lunch today and we're going to eat real good, all right? So just get that out there. But but here's the thing. So last night I was hit. I, you know, we ate chili really early. And I used to eating dinner that early. And I got home and I had a bowl of chocolate ice cream. And it was good. But it might not have been good for my big plan. And I think it's no different than with life. We want to end well, but some of the choices we make, they don't point to ending well. And I don't just mean in our diet. I'm talking about spiritually speaking and our walk with Christ. You know, we should want to die serving God. Do, do we understand that? Like literally at that, that moment, it should be. And I think some of the problem we get into, and, and let me get this, get this right. I think it's because we've become too goal oriented rather than growth oriented. Like we just want to get to the next goal, whatever it is. And when we get to that goal, we think that's it. And not that there's anything wrong with goals. Goals get us to the end picture. But constantly, as believers in Christ, Scripture calls us to continue our growth and our relationship with Christ. So when we get to the goal, that means there should be another goal after it and another goal after it and another goal after it. Not just this one little finish and done and no more. It should be a continuous thing. In the upper room, we, we had a picture a couple of weeks ago. You know, with this, this giant V going this way and this way. And, and, and this was our moment of whatever you wanted to call it. Uh, you know, uh, the moment of belief, the moment of salvation, your moment of realizing you're going to decide to follow Christ because Christ is the real deal and, and his word is, is, is the better his kingdom. And we're supposed to be representing that. But, but that line goes this way. We get a greater awareness of God's greatness while at the same time we get a greater awareness of our sin. Because the greater we realize God is, the further we should be getting away of sin. And if there's not that direct revelation going on in our life, there's a problem. And, and that's where Saul was. Saul never got that greater awareness of God because he was so self-oriented. Every decision he makes that gets him further away from God is self-oriented. All the way back from the very beginning when he decided to start doing things his way rather than God's way. And here at the very end where he even thinks his way of death is better than the other way of death. So you could say it this way. And I want to expand on this a little bit too. Live well, die well. Live poorly, die poorly. 
Live well, die well, live poorly, die poorly. Every decision you make, you are writing your obituary every single day on how it's going to be at the end. Now, this doesn't mean as a believer that if you live well, you will never suffer. That's not what I'm saying. It doesn't mean that if you're a believer, you won't die of an illness or a difficult circumstance. Not what I'm saying. What it does mean, though, is whatever your circumstances are, you can die well. Do we get the difference? Whatever it is, you will die well. Book of Martyrs, you can open it up and and numerous guys died horrific ways of death. Yet they died well. Tertullius said of having a smile on his face while they lit the fire that was going to burn him to death. Now, I don't know about you, but that seems like kind of a crazy kind of guy. If he's smiling while they're lighting the fire. You remember Paul, and, and I've said this before, at least in the upper room, if not here. Paul, you know, his moment of conversion was later, but he always referred back to the moment he was part of killing Stephen. And he said, Stephen looked up to the sky with a smile on his face. As if he was looking at God and saw God's glory. He never forgot that. Because though he had a horrific way of death, he died well. Can we do that? Whatever your circumstances are, you can die well. You can be remembered well. Your life and your death will bring glory and honor to Christ Jesus. Die serving him instead of serving ourselves. There's what Saul had missed. God appointed Saul to be king. If you haven't been with us, God gave Saul everything he needed to succeed repeatedly gave him opportunities to get right even after he fell. Yet consistently, Saul did things his way instead of God's way. He bypassed God every step of the way. And because of that, there's great consequences. When we bypass God, there's great consequences. And there is why Saul has this bitter end at the end here. This final battle with Saul against the Philistines or the Palestines. uh, (laughs) Saul was called by the Israelites or, or by God to deliver the Israelites from this very enemy. Go back to chapter 9, verse 16. His whole point in being called and appointed as king was to eliminate the Philistines. Yet now he dies in battle against the very enemy he's supposed to conquer. Write this one down or at least think about it, please, if nothing else. Are we dying to the things that God's called us to defeat? Are we dying to the very things that God has called us to defeat? Whether you're stuck in the same old sin whether you're stuck in the same bad decisions, whether you're stuck in the same addiction, whether you're, you're stuck getting defeated by different, whatever it is. God has called us to defeat so many enemies, yet so many of those same enemies that we've been called to defeat as believers, as followers of Christ, are the very things that are defeating us every day. Because we haven't made a real decision to defeat them. Saul couldn't say what Paul says, and I hope every believer in here wants to say. 2 Timothy 4, 7. Paul gets to the very end of his life, also about to die a horrific way of death, but says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Believers, can you say that? Can we say that? I mean, can we say it with confidence, not just quoting something, not just saying I want to be this way or I'd like to be this way or my dream would be to go out this way. Can we really look ourselves in the mirror? Could we really look Yahweh in the face? And say, I know I fought the good fight. I know I finished the race. I know I kept the faith. Or would he look back at us and say, you're a fool. You didn't do none of those things. Or will we not even be able to look at ourselves in the mirror and say that? Saul didn't fight the good fight. He didn't keep the faith. And because of it, he dies in dishonor. Go back to the beginning of 31 that Cliff just read for us. I mean, this thing's tragic at the beginning, guys. I don't know if you catch it. One through three, you got the Philistines defeating Israel. Not, not only defeating Israel on the battlefield, but look at where this goes. So the Philistines fought against Israel. 
All right, from chapter 20, remember this goes all back to chapter 28. Chapter 28, verse 4, we know that this is deep in Israelite territory. Now, when you got home field advantage, you ought to be able to win something, right? Home field advantage ought to mean something. You know the layout of the land. You, you know the way you can use it. You've got, you've got setups that you, you should just benefit you. If nothing else, if we're talking sports, you've got the roar of the crowd. This should, this should make some kind of difference, right? So, so we're, they're on their own territory, and yet it says this. Saul's army assembled and prepared for battle. This is from chapter 28, verse 4 at Mount Gilboa. That's home base, guys. That's where they were going to run everything out of. Yet what does what the first three verses of this chapter tell us? The Philistines defeated them where? And killed them where? They let the enemy come in not only to their territory, but to their home base. And take care of business right there. You could almost, you know, keep it loosely. Don't think there's anything more holy about this building uh, other than the the people and the Holy Spirit that's inside the people that's in it. But you could almost call the the church building home base for us every week. We need to stop letting the enemy win on the home base. Because when he wins on the home base, look at look at uh, four, four or five verses later, how fast it spreads throughout all the land. When we let the enemy win here, he wins everywhere else in our lives. We take him, he goes back home with us and he wins there. He, he wins at work. Think about it, if he beats you at your house. That's your home base, is it not? Ought to be for every family, every individual. When he beats you at home base, what happens? You go to work like a stick in the mud. You drive in traffic like an old aggravating thing and everything everybody else does is aggravating to you, even though they're probably just obeying the law. Right? Think about it. Think about when you're in the grocery store, you don't think you deserve to stand in line. So you get frustrated you've got to stand in line if it don't ring up the way you want it to ring up. Every every area of our life, if we lost at home, we lose throughout the day. And there's where they're at. And because of his deep rebellion, man, here's the saddest part. Twenty eight, The very next uh, verse in chapter 28, verse 5. Because he had lost and he was a deep in rebellion, Saul wasn't ready for this battle. Look at what verse 5 says. When Saul saw the Philistine camp, he was afraid and trembled violently. Is there anything in Scripture that calls us as believers to see the enemy coming and to have fear and tremble violently? I think everything in Scripture says the exact opposite, right? I read a thing one time. This is why you got to investigate while you read. I read a thing one time that says 365 times Scripture tells you fear not. I said, man, that's kind of cool because that's once for each day. You investigate it. It's more than that. I don't know why we have to lower the standard of God's word to make it sound cool and, and, and like something we can apply daily, mainly because this I think is great because I need to fear not probably more than once a day. So I'm grateful that it's more than 365 times, right? So we're called not to fear yet. Here Saul is because he's lost his relationship with God. He's doing things his way. He sees the enemy coming and he's afraid, so afraid that it says he's trembling violently. I mean, this guy is scared out of his pants. Think about it. I don't even know if you wore pants. Right? I think they had those fancy robes. Yeah. All right. Look at this, though. And instead of taking this fear to the Lord, you got to go back to all these chapters now. Instead of taking this fear to the Lord, what's he doing in a couple chapters ago? He goes out and seeks from a median. He wants to hear, understand this, he wanted to hear God's voice through a witch. And we think, wow, but how often is it we try to hear God's voice through the ways of the world? Huh? How often? How often do we do this? And he does this, and, and, and ironically enough, strangely enough, however you want to remember it, God spoke. 
through, through a dead prophet came to him and, and here's what he said. You and your sons are going to die the next day. That's verse 19. Well, folks, I'm going to tell you, 31, we've been here for three chapters later. Three chapters later, 31-1, it is the next day. And they're finally into battle, and the Philistines kill his sons. They kill him, and eventually they kill everything else. So here's your next question. My goodness, if you're a parent, please write this one down, or at least let it sink in. Are our sins affecting our children? Or you could write it this way. This is the way I had it first. What are our kids dealing with because of us? What are your kids dealing with? Because you didn't deal with it the right way. Huh? What is it? What What is your pride got your kids suffering from? Because that's what Saul's problem was. It was his pride the whole time. It, it, it was his lack of surrender to the Lord and doing things the Lord's way and wanting to do it his way. And I don't even care if we try to make it sound good. Well, you don't understand. I got to make the money to pay the bills. No, I think you got a family to raise first. So maybe you need to get rid of some bills so that you ain't got to work all the time so that you can be there to influence your family. So that you can spend time with your wife. So that you can spend time with your children. Now, there comes a time where you've gotten down to the bare minimum. You've got to work a little extra. I think that's part of it, too. That's all right. But don't try to justify something that's evil with goodness. The good idea. Right? We do. And because of that, our kids struggle and have to deal with it. Tragically, man, Saul's son's affected by the judgment of God. The crazy thing is when I, when I had written down that live poorly or, or live well, die well, live poorly, die poorly, I was thinking of Saul. And, and that was just the first time I read these 13 verses. And then I went back and I was like, holy crap, Jonathan dies in this, man. Jonathan is great. He was sold out. He surrendered to David already. I mean, he, he was a wonderful man. He would have made a good king if his daddy didn't ruin it and have his family lineage stripped away from being into the kingship. But I think Jonathan died well. Any warrior would like to die fighting the enemy, correct? Not surrendering and giving up and falling on your own sword, and right? He fought well and he died well. And we remember him because of that. You know, this is the last time anything's actually mentioned well, chapter 9 is actually the last time anything positive is mentioned about Saul. Now, we mention him later, but it ain't for good stuff. You, you get to the book of Hebrews and you get the, the Hall of Fame or Hall of Faith, as I like to call it. He ain't in there. But a lot of those from his story are in there. Right? He ain't there because he didn't make it. He dies well. Maybe this is another way. And this is kind of a different way of looking at it, I understand. But I, I think it was all part of God's plan. One, he had to eliminate the lineage. Why? So that David had a clear way of getting in. Maybe another thing is this. Now, this is kind of thinking outside the box for some of us, but I'll step right in the middle. Okay. Maybe God was thinking of mercy for Jonathan. Jonathan had already promised David would be king. He wouldn't interfere with it in any way. He would support him and be his right hand man. Right. Do you understand what that would mean for Jonathan? That meant Jonathan would be having to pick David over his own brothers. Can you imagine the turmoil that would create in your head, even if you were doing it the right way? I think Jonathan would have did it the right way. And I think in God's mercy, as crazy as this may sound, in God's mercy, he said, you know what? I don't want Jonathan to have to deal with that headache. I'm going to let him die a warrior's death in battle. Just just a possibility of what God was doing, right? And he does this. And he does this. Now, now check this out. Saul's death gets even more tragic. You're thinking, man, this can't be any worse. Oh, it can. Because look at four through six. See, at one through three, he's just going to battle and he's dying like a soldier. He's got a bunch of uh, violent, 
critically wounded uh, injuries on him, okay? And that's why I kind of say a lot of people look at this as a, as, a, as a strictly, I don't think this is strictly a suicide type thing, okay? I think he was going to die regardless. One guy had already promised it. Two, it says he was critically wounded, all right? That normally means bad ending, all right? So, so he's there, and he's critically wounded, and he's, and, and he's asking. What's the first thing he asks? I want my name to be remembered a different way. Pride. Pride. So armor bearer, will you kill me instead? And armor bearer like David just chapters ago says, no, nah, that ain't for me to do. I'm not killing God's anointed king. And he says, I can't. And Saul says, well, if you won't, and he throws his sword out and he calls on it. I'll take care of myself. Man, if, if, if his death was tragic, this part right here has just got to be heartbreaking. Right? I mean, look how, look how deep and how bad this is going. All because he's worried about his rep and wanting to have control even over the way he dies. That's a lack of surrender right there when you're so worried about being in control that you gotta control the way you die. This is tragedy everywhere. Right? Then it says this, his armor bearer sees this. So even the armor bearer's got his faith in the wrong spot, right? Saul's got his faith in himself. He, he takes care of himself. The armor bearer must have faith in Saul because what happens? He sees Saul do this and what's it say? He does. Does the same thing. Man, now you picture if we had a video camera zoomed out on this scene. You've got a battle going on over here that Saul's sons just got killed in. You've got Saul over here fell on a sword. You can picture a good Hollywood picture of him just laying there. And now you've got his armor bearer laid on his sword doing the same thing. I mean, this is an ugly, ugly situation, right? Saul foolishly put his faith in himself, and through that leadership, he allowed others to put his faith in himself. Man, if you never get nothing outside of here, please don't ever put your faith in me. I'm a spokesman for God, nothing more. Okay? 100% man. All right? Which means 100% screw up most of the time. Right? Just being honest. Don't you dare put your faith in me. We can talk about falls. We can talk about mess ups. I can, t- I can talk about all that. Right? But, but your faith is to be in God. But then you got to ask yourself a question then if you're a leader. And this goes at every level because even if you proclaim to be a believer, then you should be a leader for those outside that aren't believers. So then here's your question. Where are we leading people to? Where or, or what are we leading people to? Who are we leading people to? Saul as a leader led his armor bearer to want to fall on his sword. I, I would never want to be remembered for that. Right? What are we leading people to? And be honest about it. Fame, fortune, money, riches, bigger cars, bigger houses. Right? What are we leading people to? Man. Saul foolishly went to that witch. God told him, you're going to die in 24 hours. 24 hours later now, on this battlefield, he and his sons lie dead. Done. Man, compare this to last week with chapter 30, guys. David. Talk about David and Saul being different. David wins a battle that he wasn't supposed to win, and he rescues his family. Saul defeated and loses his family. You see the difference in these two? You see the difference when we let self-driven versus God-driven do it? Live well, die well? Yeah, good answer. Saul lived poorly and he died tragically. The next next part of these verses in the middle right there, it says all his men died together that same day. Man, this thing can't get no sadder, can it? I mean, we're on a downward spiral right now, guys. As sad as it was on this day, here's the saddest part. There's no repentance, no sorrow, no crying out to God in any of this chapter. Yet just a, a chapter before, a day before, a couple chapters before for us, in 28 verse 19, he's told, you're going to die. People say all the time, well, I, I'm waiting till I know. 
I think if we knew when we would die, it wouldn't change anything. In all honesty. I don't believe it would. Because we say all the time, yeah, but if I, if I just knew when I was going to die, then I would get right at it. What are you trying to be? The guy on the cross who got, the guy on the cross only got right at the last moment because he had no other options. It took that for him to realize who Christ really was. That's not supposed to be your plan, guys. Never is that like the option. Well, if you want a successful plan, here it is. Wait till you're on your deathbed and possibly you got one more breath left to take and use that to call on the name of God. I don't think that's the plan. I think the plan is to be serving God as long as possible. To get saved as as early as possible. Right? To understand scriptures. Why do you think we're called to raise our children a certain way? We should have them as early as possible serving God, doing things God's way. That, that's our goal as parents, hopefully, right? Yet, yet here we have the exact opposite taking place right here with David and his men. No repentance, no time of getting right, nothing. All he's prepared to do is, is lose a fight. Our sins will take others down, guys. Our sins will destroy our family and they'll lead people to where we, they shouldn't need to be going. And that's the tragedy of Saul's end right here. And I almost wish it could stop right there. But then we have seven through ten as well. Now we have dishonor coming into the picture. So you can say it gets worse. Seven through ten, look what happens at the at the very the very beginning right here. The first way Saul is dis now we're getting to dishonor. Verse seven. Look at verse seven. Remember what he was supposed to do. Right? Saul fails to protect his people. Number one way of dishonor that we get to see. When the men of Israel to the other side of the valley and to the other side of the Jordan saw that Israel's men had run away and that Saul and his sons were dead, they abandoned the cities and fled. So the Philistines just walked on in and settled and had a great vantage point for the rest of the battles. Church, where in Scripture are we called to just flee when the odds aren't in our favor any longer? This is where Saul has led his men. He's failed to protect his people and he's failed to let them know, even when I'm gone, there's somebody who will pick up the torch and run. So you just keep on fighting. Right. I I really believe it. I'm glad we're getting to a point. Someone asked me years ago. This is back when I was still doing youth ministry and they asked what would be the sign and what would make you happy about your leadership? And it would be this. And it's still the same thing today. If I died right now, nothing in the church would stop. There'd be somebody to pick up the torch and keep on running. Because the church isn't built on me. The church is built on God and his word. And if there's not a man in here that will stand up and start preaching and, and other people that will stand up and start leading, then I failed. And I fully believe it to this day. Okay? And I'm thankful to look out there and look some of you in the eye and know that there are people who will get up and call the Philistines Palestines, but they will read the word. And I know there are some that will write, write back after that. What they heard read, they will preach about it. And it will be by God's word, not by man's intentions. Okay? Saul did a poor job at letting his people know somebody else would pick up the torch and go. So what do his people do? They abandon their homes and they flee. They give up their territory without even a fight. Here's the question. What territory have you given up without a fight? What territory in your personal walk with Christ and your homes and your family have you just said, you know what? I don't know how to fight any longer. I give up. And I'm not talking about I give up and let God. It's I give up and I'm doing nothing. They didn't give up and let God. They give up, packed up their crap and left like a bunch of chickens. I mean, picture the video. It would be fading out. You would have all those dead bodies laying around and you would have the rest of the army scattering away. Running scared. 
And the Philistines walk in and, hey, look at this house. It's already built, ready. Nobody's in it. This is great. Is that what we want to give the enemy? I think the enemy's going to fight hard enough. We don't need to make it any easier for him. Right? I tell you why, guys. And here's the biggest thing for us as believers. We need to, we need to get our head around because they're letting their feelings get them. You're losing a lot of the fights right now in your personal walk because you're letting your feelings get you. What does scripture say about feelings? That'd be your heart, by the way. Evil. It's evil. Deceitful. Why do you think the enemy's after your head? Huh? Because your feelings normally go against what you know. What you know is more important than what you feel. Think about if they would have just thought about what they knew. They let their feelings get them so they ran away. Well, what do they know? I know I'm God's chosen nation. I know he's got David already ready to be king as soon as Saul is gone. I know. I know that God has had a plan for us since the very beginning, and he's done so much to get us to this point. There's no way I should be running away. You see the difference? Do you let your feelings control you, or do you let what you know control you? Maybe you could write it down this way. Stop losing your head over stuff. Stop losing your head, man. What what, what scripture tell us in Ephesians? Put on a helmet. That helmet's important. Because if you're not dressed for battle, you're going to lose. And if you're not dressed to protect your head, man, why do you think they wanted to cut his head off? Separate the leadership from the body. Right? Your feelings. Don't let your feelings get you. We're not called to give up and quit. We're called to fight. Even when others mess up. You don't get excuses. Eh, well, so-and-so. I don't care what so-and-so did. That's what my mom and dad used to always tell me. I thought it was all right to get in trouble if your buddy got in trouble. I thought it was like a team effort. You know, I'm a big kind of team guy, so that's cool stuff right there. If my buddy do it, I want to go out with him. And that'd be the first thing I said. Mom or dad, look at what'd you do? Why? That was the favorite question. Why'd you do it? Oh, well, my best friend did it. Right? <laughs> you should have seen him. And they would look at me right here. Am I his dad? No, I don't think so. Then I don't care what he did. What if we looked at God, our spiritual father, Abba, and used that same excuse? But Abba, the world is doing it. I think he'd look at look at us just like my daddy looked at me and he would say, but are they my children? I don't think so. Well, then what they do is going to be foolish to us. And what you do should be foolish to them. But if you blend in with them, then what better are you? If you're not going to be the leader like I've called you to be, what better are you? Huh? What better are you? Guys, if we look just like the world and we do the things of the world because the world messes up, it's not an excuse. It's not an excuse. We're not ever called to quit. We're called to fight. Saul's main job as king was to protect his people. It's why they wanted a king in the very beginning. It's why they wanted. They said, if we get a king like they got, we'll be able to be okay just like they are. Now, they put their thing in, in a position rather than a person. And there was a first mistake, right? Huh? Men? Those in leadership, those that have been called to lead families, this is why leaders have such a high responsibility. This is why. Because the fall of a leader can endanger so many more people than just the leader that falls. Why do you think the New Testament presents such a high standard for leaders? Read Timothy and Titus and some of the standards it has for leaders. Paul writing a letter to two young guys that are going to have to pick leaders in their church. And this is the advice he gives. Chapter 3, verse 2 in 1 Timothy, Titus 1 and 6. And he tells them, 
you should be you should find those that are blameless for just cause before the world and before God's people. That's how we're to look to the world. Right. Read it. An overseer, therefore, must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, self-controlled, sensible, respectable, hospitable and able to teach. God doesn't play around with those that he's called to lead. Is Titus up there, too? Titus, someone who is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful, uh, yeah, faithful children, not accused uh, of, of wildness or rebellion. And if you were accused of wildness and rebellion, people ought to remember it from your past, not your present. And they ought to be able to have a little comma in there that says, but you succeed now. Or maybe they should start it with the he used to be. I don't mind if somebody says he used to be wild. I don't mind if somebody looks at me and says, man, I never thought you would have been. I didn't think I would have been either. Right? I'm worried about what God sees me as now. Saul fails to protect his people and his leadership drastically affects his people. Leadership is important, guys. And if you're saying, well, I'm not a leader of anything or I'm not a boss of anything. If you're a believer, you're a leader to a lost and dying world. Say you're a leader to somebody. okay? And and if you're over any age of anybody else in here spiritually and and, and physically at the same time, guess who's guess who they're looking up to? Guess who that little you know why that little girl wouldn't leave until you told her bye? Because she looks up to you. She cares about your response to her. What are we showing them? What are we teaching them? What are we getting them ready for? That's us as the church, guys. Here, here, here. We, we on a downward spiral. We might as well keep it going, right? Look at 8 through 10. It's getting worse, man. It's getting way worse. The Philistines disgraced the corpses of Saul and his sons. Go back and look at it. Go back and look at it. It says that they found them and they desecrate their body. They cut off Saul's head and they strip him of his armor. Talk about losing your head. He lost his head literally, Right? Later in the chapter, we're going to talk about it exposed the body of his sons by hanging them up for the world. This was a great dishonor in this culture, guys. Saul was so worried about his honor and his name and his reputation. Huh? Remember, that's why he stopped to, to eliminate himself so that he didn't die at the hands of an enemy. Well, he's being about as dishonored as he could get right now, despite what he thought he could control. Not giving him proper burial. I mean, it's just ugly. This is ugly. And yet you would think this is probably as bad as it could go for for bodies to be desecrated and, and their names to be and their reputation to be thrown out there for the world and everything. But but then you got nine through ten. And this really is as bad as it gets right here, guys. Look at look at nine and ten. I'm going to read it again. They cut off Saul's head. They stripped off his armor. They sent messengers throughout the land of the Philistines to spread the good. Notice they use the word gospel here. Y'all catch that? I don't want them stealing my word. Right. Good news is supposed to be for the believer, not for them. Right. They spread the good news for them in the temples of their idols and among the people. Now, I had to snicker a little bit right here, guys, because you understand what they're doing, right? They're sending out all this stuff. So everybody in the land hears about what happened. They've got a plan. They've got a purpose for why they're doing it. Right. I wrote down in my little notes while I pick on them. I guess their guys weren't big enough to know what had already happened. They had to send it to the temple and tell him. Right. Think about that. They had to send it on over there because Dagon didn't know. What happened? Why? Because he's a fake God. He's not a real God. Right? And the rest of their guys at the other temples that they sent stuff to, they didn't know what was happening, so they had to go and tell them. My God didn't have to be told. He knew whether they sent something to him or not. Right? That's good stuff right there. Then 10. Then they put his armor in the temple of, what you call him? I want to keep it the same. Mr. A. <laughs> Ashtoreth. 
Oh, that was pretty close. And snuck his body <laughs> and hung his body on the wall of Bethshane. Here's why this is getting worse, guys, as much as we kind of laugh and, and, and see a little bit of humor in, in that part right there. Here's the worst part of it. Here's the worst part of it. In First Chronicles, uh, for you note takers, chapter 10, verse 10, also tells us that Saul's head was put in the temple of Dagon. That's where I got that from. Um, and, and follows through with the rest of this with his sons and, and all this. So it just it gives us a little bit more detail on where it's going. Here's the enemy's view. Not only were they trying to spread the word that they had won, they're trying to spread the word. And here's exactly what they were saying. Our idols won. We beat their God. Our idols beat and defeated the God of Israel. And the Philistines glorify their idols and they dishonor the one true God in the process. Now, here's the sad thing, because we know the truth, but here's the sad truth about it. Our defeat lets the world get a false view of God, whether we like it or not. They say, well, that's not really fair. Of course it's not. What do you think God's thinking when he watches us give bad defeats? What do you think God's thinking when, when people get a bad taste for him in, in, in their voice and in their thought life? It's not really fair they look at me that way, but these are those that I've chosen to represent me. Right? Man, you want to know why like basketball teams and football teams sometimes were called to like dress up on game days and all? Because they represented a team. They represented a team. You got to look good. Right? Look like a team. You play like a team. We're on God's team. Thankfully, he picked us to be on his team. We represent him then, right? It's where they first got their name Christian. I don't know if you knew that. They didn't mean it as a compliment, by the way. In the book of Acts, when they, when they look at it, they said, oh, they're acting like a bunch of those little Christs. We'll call them Christians. Right? I, they didn't mean it in a positive way, but when I hear it, I'm going to tell you now, if someone thought enough of me to think I'm a little Christ and a representative of Christ, I'll take that. Right? You mean it as a disgrace. I, I see it as a good thing. That's right. I'll roll with that name. But what are we really doing with that name? We said before that we don't even like using it anymore because of how much the world has corrupted it. By the way, I think that's crap. I don't think Satan should be allowed to take a word away that represents us. Right now, we should make it clear and understand there's a difference in a true Christian, a true follower versus a so-called Christian. Right. Let's make sure we understand that. But I don't want to give the enemy any more ground than he's already got. Now, you and I know the Philistine idols didn't defeat God. But the world's not looking at it that way. They're looking at the evidence that they see and they're cheering about it. So I said, this is the saddest, most downward spiral part of it, guys. We've now slandered God in this section. All because of Saul's tragic ending, right? The whole world looked out like the Philistine idols. And what we, we know that God was judging Saul. God was setting up the, the next part of, it, of his plan. But the, the world, they're rejoicing for other reasons. No different than when the world rejoices when a fallen believer happens today, right? You ever seen the news get so excited when a pastor screws up? You ever seen it? You ever seen believers? I never understood this part, by the way. You ever seen believers, how quick they are to spread gossip when a music minister screws things up? You ever seen how fast they'll jump on a bandwagon when a Sunday school teacher messes things up? Why are we getting quiet? Because the truth hurts? Huh? You ever notice that? It's, it's not a, no, man, this crap's going to stop with me right here. I ain't letting it know. No, it's a, what'd you say so I can get all the details as I text it to all my friends? Right? That's what we do. Why do you think news travels so fast in the South? If the gospel could travel half as fast as bad news, oh my goodness. Huh? If we could get the world out there learning uh, as fast as, as we can tweet everything else and Facebook everything else, yeah, that would change the pages a whole lot. 
But no, we real quick to spread bad news rather than good news, right? 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 Think about it. And hear me, guys. Hear me right here big time for us as believers and what happened with Saul big time. May we always fear dishonoring the name of the Lord more than we feel dishonoring our, ourselves and our own experiences. Think about what started Saul's fall. He was told to go to a city to wait for seven days. Samuel was going to come, do what needed to be done the right way with the sacrifice and lead him into battle the right way and do things the right way. Yet Saul got there and he was so worried about his persona that day seven came and day seven wasn't over. Day seven just came. And he said, you know what? Samuel's not coming. I got to do it my way. Big mistake. So worried about himself that he refused to worry about the reputation of God. What about us? Are we worried about our own reputation? We're about God's reputation. Are we willing to, to shake things up and, and cross some lines to keep our reputation good rather than worry about God's reputation? I think we are far too many times. We get to the last part here, 11 through 13. As tragic as the death was, as dishonor uh, of Saul and the heartbreaking part of that, we do get just a, a little bit of good news at the end of this thing, man. The people of Gabesh Gilead, 11 through 13. Look, look at what it says in 11. When the residents of Gabesh Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, all their brave, or you call it valiant men, set out, journeyed all night and retrieved the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons off the wall of Beth Sham. When they had arrived at Gabesh, oh, hold on, I'm pause right there for a minute because that's what they do when they get there, right? Look, look at this, guys. Look at this. It says, all the valiant, all the brave men arose. God's people may have been defeated. God's army may have been struck down. God's leaders may have been dead, but God still has valiant men to do his work. Why? Because God's work is greater than any one man and any one group of people. Got it? Look at this now, and here's the truth. Not only do we need, but God is calling for men, brave men, valiant men to rise up. People are going to fall. You might as well get that in your head. There needs to be those that are going to grab the torch when they fall and take off with it. I almost picture it. Now, this is a patriotic one, but most of us have seen the movie The Patriot. You remember at the very end when when that flag goes to fall because the guy got stuck and and he's dying and he falls. And and they're in the middle of almost a retreat. And and the guy sees it, the swamp box. And and he sees it. He picks up that flag. He says, you know what? I'm not letting this flag hit the ground. I'm going to tote it. Now, that was supposed to be the leader. The leader ain't supposed to be the flag toter, right? Flag toter is a whole different position. Yet he thought enough of it to say, you know what? I'm going to pick it up and carry it where it needs to be carried and rally the troops and get them fired up and ready to go again. Why can't we get some spiritual people doing that? Huh? Do we need a flag to fall for you guys to understand there's something to pick up and for us to run with? People are going to fail. They fail daily. That's why you don't put your trust in people. You put your trust in God. But when people fall, there's got to be brave and valiant warriors who God has called that are going to pick up whatever they drop and keep it going, man. Right? Right? I hope so. One servant passes the scene, another servant rises. Saul is gone, yet God's raising David up. The army, uh, Israel army is, is, is routed and leaving, yet God still has these valiant group of warriors that are going to do what needs to be done. Look at what they do. This is, this is good right here, man, if you picture this scene. If you're a movie guy, you ought to have this thing pictured for sure. The Philistines have taken the bodies. They've decapitated. They're hanging them. They, they stripped them of their armor. I mean, they, they've done everything they can to desecrate. You think about like the body of Christ. And what they did to make that thing look so bad, right? Right? 
That's what they've done. Yet these guys hear about it. They travel. If you don't have a map, they travel 15 miles to get there. They have to cross the Jordan River. If you study your map, they got to cross the Jordan River at night, see, sneak into enemy territory, get those bodies with, off the walls without waking up the guards and drawing too much attention. And then on their way back, I don't know if you've ever had to tote a dead body. As graphic as that may, I don't know if you've ever been a, a pallbearer or anything like that and just, just the, the weight of a, of a person who, who, who has no, nothing left in them. Right? Maybe they're just knocked out. Maybe they're not dead. Maybe that's a cleaner way to say it in the church, right? So, so I don't know if you've ever done that, but that, that's a lot of weight. 200 pounds can become like 400 pounds. Yet they grab these bodies and they sneak out, toting the bodies with them to make sure they get back to where they're supposed to be. Right? I mean, this is like the Army uh, Rangers, Navy SEALs times 10 right here, guys. I mean, these guys are awesome. They return back to Gabash and they burn the desecrated bodies. Uh, they give Saul and his sons a proper burial under the tree. And then it says they fast for seven days out of respect. Out of respect. Wow. There's still some men and women in the world that's going to get it done. These, these are the guys, right? You're wondering what in the world made these guys go through all this? I know you remembered it, but I want to remind you all the way back to chapter 11. First Samuel chapter 11, 1 through 11. We're not going to read it, but you guys read on your own to remind. They were paying a debt. Saul's very first task as king was to rescue them. And he did so because at this point or at that point, he was living for the Lord. He was anointed by God. He was doing things his way. Right. And in doing this, his very first official act as king, man, it, it unites all the people and their loyalty and their devotion uh, to, to Saul is great. Which unfortunately brought up another question. That hit hard that maybe we need to think about. If Saul fell away after serving so well, what about us? If Saul could fall so far behind after doing something so good, what about us? Think on it. Write it down. Let it sink in. Because no matter how well we're doing today, we have a potential to fall tomorrow. And we need to be aware of it because if you're not aware of it, then you're not suited up for battle. And you're thinking with feelings instead of what you know. And it gets you in trouble, right? That downward fall, he began this thing as king and rescuing this people. Yet here at the very end, it's these people rescuing him. Talk about a turnaround. I don't know if I want that kind of turnaround, right? Talk about live well, die well. Well, at least his good actions from when he started allowed these people to think enough of him and want to repay this debt that they would retrieve his bodies at great risk to themselves. And getting back buried under this tree the right way so he can start to have a little bit more honor. And I'm going to be honest. I got another personal lesson out of this little section right here, right? <laughs> These men right here taught me it's not for us to play judge. Because you think about it. If they had heard or if they hadn't heard, I don't know. But if they had heard the Saul of all, they had heard how fall he had gone, how easy would it have been to say, we don't know him anything anymore. Oh, corrupt joker. You know what I'm saying? They don't judge. What do they say? We're going to get him. We owe a debt. We're going to get him. Why? 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 Because they weren't worried about a man's reputation. They were about a position that God had put him in. He's still our king. Kind of like David. You notice how David, throughout this whole thing, all the grief and all the reasons and all the rights he had to be upset, he still says that is God's appointed king. I will respect it. That's these people. But yet, how fast are we to judge somebody? How fast are we to point a finger? How fast are we to think less of somebody? 
How quick are we to destroy more of those that have fallen? That's not what God has called valiant, brave followers of Christ to do. And just a little cheat note in case you're wondering what everybody else thought of it. If you flip to 2 Samuel chapter 2, verses 4 through 6, we won't be there for a couple weeks, but we'll get a sneak peek right here. Maybe. If not, I got a sneak peek right here. Chapter 2, 4, and 6, it says this. Then the men of Judah came, and there they anointed David, king over the house of Judah. They told David, it's the men of Gabash-Gilead who buried Saul. David sent messengers to the men of Gabash-Gilead and said to them, The Lord bless you because you have shown, shown this kindness to Saul, your Lord, when you buried him. He's pleased with what they did. He's happy with what they did. And they get shown favor for their kindness and their loyalty. You want some favor? How about be kind and be loyal? That seems pretty easy, huh? Right? Later on in chapter 21, by the way, uh, Saul is able to retrieve the bones of everybody under that tree only because they brought it back to that tree and he buries them in his father's burial site. Talk about now things beginning to grab just a, a little bit of, of honor, all because of some valiant action by the right, right guys. What valiant action are you supposed to be taking that's going to lead to some honor a little bit later on? Right? Now we're at the end of Samuel 1, or Saul 1. Um, well, Samuel 1, right, but the story of Saul. But here's what I want you to remember. Now we, we only get a, a pause of 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, because man put it there. Now, this thing was written all together. So don't think we, we changing, we're not changing pages at all. We just turn in the page past the title page to finish the story, right? But, but at this end, we got to pause and look at some application things right here. And here's what I want you guys to think now as we wrap this thing up. First and foremost, throughout this whole chapter, your choices are important. That's a pretty simple lesson we get from the first book of Samuel. Your choices are important. Every day you're going to make decisions. You're choosing life or you're choosing death, and they're on you. They're on you because here's the second thing we see throughout this whole book, the consequences of your choices. Your choices have consequences. We, we say you reap what you sow or, or however you want to word it. I, I had to look last night. I don't know who ended up winning the uh, – did you win the 80-year-old sign? You know, she's not 80. That's not what I'm saying, okay? But she got a sign. I was sitting there looking at that sign. It had 80 years, however many months that would be, however many weeks that would be, however many days that would be, however many seconds that would be, and on down the list right here. And I was looking at it, and I was thinking right here. Our lives are made up of years, months, days, hours, minutes, seconds, and each of those things are made up of choices. Each of them. Because each and every single one of those choices, while they may seem so small at the time, are thousands of small choices make up our life. And they're going to determine what somebody's going to say about us when we're gone. They're going to determine what people remember when we're gone. They're going to determine whether God looks at us and says, well done, good and faithful servant, or man, you really messed things up. We don't ever like to look at the opposite, but I guarantee some of the people will hear that. Right? And then finally, the third, I said three things we can wrap it up in. The third thing, and I wrap it up with three verses, is the necessity of the Holy Spirit. The necessity of the Holy Spirit in this whole thing. You could sum up the rise and fall of Saul and the rise of David in three verses. First Samuel eleven six, When Saul heard their words, the Spirit of God came upon him in power. Oh, what a day it must have been, right? To feel the Spirit of the God come upon you, to, to feel pumped up and ready. Some of you remember that? When the Spirit of God took over your body and you knew you were following him and you knew that you were serving him and the fire and the excitement of that brought. Well, five chapters later, we get 1 Samuel 16, 13. So Samuel took the horn of, of oil 
And he appointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Wow. Little old David in front of his brothers. Little old David in front of his family. Little old outcast from a tribe that wasn't even supposed to be represented for, 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 from, from, from just the, the tiniest one out of all of them. Yet the spirit of God's on him. And sadly, the verse that follows that, now the spirit, verse 14, now the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul. Which one of those verses you won't say about you? The spirit of the Lord coming upon you, the spirit of the Lord empowering you, or the spirit of the Lord departing from you? In each of the cases, they're occasioned by the, they're, they're associated with the coming or the departing of the spirit of God. We need the Holy Spirit in our lives. We can't please God without the Holy Spirit. First Samuel, it comes to an end, but, but there's hope there at the end. Because if a corrupt king is gone, that must mean a good king is coming, right? David is there. We talk about David foreshadowing Christ. You could almost say like First Samuel is the Old Testament, where we're foreshadowing of Jesus Christ, and everybody's just waiting on Christ to come into the New Testament. The same thing with Second Samuel. Everybody's just waiting on David to become king here into this new one. Right? Think about that. Picture that, right? Ending well or ending poorly, it's on you. Last question, how do you want your story to end? How do you want it to end? The good thing is that if you are like Saul and really messed up right now, you don't have to stay that way. You don't. You've got warnings all over. Saul had warnings all over. He had promises all over. He had signs all around him. Look back at the very the very first verse we looked at. What a great verse to end on also. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Can you say it? Can you say it and mean it? I want you guys to think right now. Now, this ain't no like fancy everybody ought to be at the altar. You, you can get right right there at your seat. If you need to come to the altar, it's big and it wraps around, do it. But one of these questions today had to hit you. And I know that because God wouldn't have gave them to me if they didn't. So, so what is it? Are, are you are you dying to things that you were called to defeat? Somebody in this room is dying to something they were called to defeat. Fear. Worry. Harry stood up and said he don't have to worry because he knows God's got it for a reason for somebody else in here. God didn't tie those things together on accident. That's God's sentence. Or maybe as a parent, your kids are dealing with something because of you. Nobody's got to know which one of them it is, but we got to get right on every single one of them. Maybe you're leading people the wrong way to the wrong thing, to the wrong territory. Maybe you've given up territory without a fight. What territory have you given up without a fight? What what? What feeling are you letting take over rather than what you know? That's a big one for us, guys. Maybe that one's for everybody. Because we know what we're supposed to know. We know what we're supposed to believe. But how often is it we let feelings get in the way? Emotions get in the way. Maybe you're, maybe you're more worried about your rep than God's rep. It's kind of a hard one to say, ain't it? It'd be a hard one to admit to. But I think God would be pleased if you admit to it now and get it right than admit to it later. And then the last one, will we rise like the valiant men? Will we be the brave men? Nothing's going to be added to or taken away from Scripture. But if there were to write another book about followers in 2020, would they write about you would be in one of the brave men that rose up when others around you had fallen and messed up? Would they write about you as picking up the torch and picking up the flag and carrying it to the finish line like it was supposed to be? 
Or years from now, will there be a book that just says, well, in 2020, the Spirit of God started to move, but the enemy stopped it and nobody picked up and carried it where it was supposed to be carried? Let's let God deal with us. Pray with me. Father God, we love you so much. God, a lot of us in here probably don't like chapter 31 because it's tough. It's violent. It's ugly. It's tragic. It's heartbreaking. But God, I fully believe that you have chapter 31 there for us in this room today to open our eyes, Lord God, to see some things, to give us an opportunity. We are thankful for the opportunity, Lord God, to get some stuff made right now, to stop waiting, to stop playing around with the enemy, to stop leaving territories we were called to rule over. God, I pray that you use this chapter, Lord God. God, you use these questions, questions that you've already kicked my butt with, Lord God, but now kick the butts of other people in this room. Because sometimes we need that, Lord God, to get right. God, call upon brave men and women, Lord God, that are going to pick up the torch that has fallen, light it again, and, and let your spirit blow it, Lord God, and let that fire go throughout. Lord God, help us in areas where maybe we've messed up for our children. Set bad examples, Lord God, or didn't have priorities right. God, touch every person in this room right now, Lord God, exactly where we need to be touched, Lord God, so that we can get things right with you. God, this is a personal time between us and you, God. Use this time to do what I can't do. In your name we pray. Amen.